for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. By improving the way that we communicate our findings uh, in conferences, also in social media, I think it's, it's really going to help. Hello fellow humans, today I am talking with Dr. Christos Liscaris, a research scientist and postdoctoral fellow at the lab of Professor Helen Schaafman at the NYU Nathan Klein Institute for Psychiatric Research. Nathan will tell us all about his scientific research into the epilepsies, his passions for helping other young people develop their careers in the fields of epileptology and communicating effectively with people affected by the epilepsies. And also um, we talk about um, the links discovered, this is really important, links discovered between the epilepsies and Alzheimer's. Stay tuned to learn more and if you haven't already and if you want to subscribe to the channel. Together let us improve outreach, epilepsy awareness, understanding and research. Thank you Tori for, for the invite and I'm really glad talking with, here to, uh, with, you, with you today. So I'm Christos Lisgaras, I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the New York University and the Nathan Klein Institute Center for Dementia Research. I work in the lab of uh, Dr. Helen Sarfman and I'm doing uh, epilepsy research but also some research on uh, the intersection between uh, epilepsy and Alzheimer's disease. Um, I worked in epilepsy for, for many years. I started from my undergraduate studies and uh, uh, my first postdoc and that's my second postdoc. So th I'm, I'm really excited about doing epilepsy research. Gosh, you are a postdoc fan to say the least then. This is, this is really exciting. So can you tell us a bit about what first got you interested in epilepsy and epilepsy research? So that started uh, during my undergraduate studies. Uh, my background is in biology, so I was studying applied biology and technology at the University of Ioannina in Greece. And there uh, I had uh, the opportunity to work with a wonderful person, my PhD advisor, uh, that she was interested in um, uh, epilepsy in uh, development. So we were looking at what were the long-term effects of uh, seizures when they are happening during development in the adult brain. So that was uh, my uh, master's uh, thesis and then I continued for uh, my PhD on the same topic but expanding a little bit more on the mechanisms that underlie this uh, abnormal excitability in uh, adult life when people uh, have seizures during development. Have you discovered anything so far that you're like, whoa, that was not expected or, uh, you know, anything like that? Yes, there, there were many findings that I didn't expect. For instance, I'm very interested in um, uh, high frequency oscillations. These are considered biomarkers of uh, epilepsy and epileptogenesis in animals and humans and uh, at first I didn't even know what the word meant but then I was starting to look at uh, you know what people are looking at and I was 
trying to, you know, analyze my data in a way that I could actually test whether I can record them in brain slices. And I, I saw them there. And that was kind of unexpected because at first I didn't know what was about. And then when I followed the approach to actually look at them in more detail, they were actually there. So my first paper from my um, uh, PhD was focusing on uh, these activities in vitro. So that is in brain slices. And then um, uh, I looked at them in uh, different models. So when I uh, moved to the States at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, uh, I was working in a, in a very exciting project looking at biomarkers of epilepsy after brain trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, a part of the project was looking at those biomarkers very early on. So I was analyzing the data to see whether we have something there. That was really exciting. And uh, then when I moved to uh, the lab of Dr. Helen Sarfman, I was working on an animal model um, where we can actually see these oscillations in uh, uh, the part of the brain that is kind of damaged and produces the seizures. So in different angles, I started from actually not knowing exactly what it is. And now it's my major focus of my research. So I was really excited about that. Yes. So with all these discoveries, and I know they don't happen every day, but what do you, how, what do you do with your data and your discoveries? How do you communicate? I know we have papers and stuff like that, but how do you try and get the your discoveries into sort of to be used in clinical practice how does that happen i know it can take a good while but <laughs> of course it takes it takes a while to have the basic science translated to clinical findings but uh projects like multi-center studies that are trying to actually uh, do similar experiments in actually different centers and try to understand whether there is a robust result mm -hmm. that can be replicated in many different labs. Uh, that is actually the way to go because you have a very big uh, uh, understanding that something is there and you can actually move it towards clinical practice. Of course, it takes uh, a lot of steps and um, for, for actually for drugs, that is a, a long time process. Um, but we are very excited because we can actually see in more detail how a potential drug might work and uh, what are the uh, possible side effects, which is very important because we need to know uh, beforehand if, we, if something that we are suggesting to use in humans, they actually have any adverse effects that we can probe in animals. Uh, so there are many steps on the way to actually make sure that you have something that is helpful and something that is going to help the patient. Yeah, I guess it's quite frustrating for people who, you know, you find you have this amazing discovery, then, you know, like five, ten years down the line, it's eventually tested in humans. And it's like, no, this is awful. Like the side effects are too bad. And you're like, oh, my God. Uh, how do you deal with that? I mean, uh, I think we need to be very careful about uh, all the studies and try to make uh, all our approaches transparent so that other people can actually replicate what we are 
uh, claiming because you have one study done here in New York for instance and uh, somebody else in another country could not replicate and that is sometimes you know waste of money or waste of personnel and it's it's uh, so frustrating to have you know something that it worked for one person but it doesn't it didn't work for another I think one way around it is to actually have a very detailed description of what you are doing, how you are doing it, uh, with either videos or in written. I think journals right now, they want to have all the details of uh, how you are doing an approach. And I think that is really helpful. And what I found really helpful is talking to people um, that they are actually doing the experiments because they can tell you something that uh, it's not in the paper and you can pay attention to the small details so communicating with uh, the people that are doing the work uh, through for instance social media email or during uh, you know a conference i think it's something that is happening right now and um, many people are doing it so and they, they share, you know, the, all their unpublished results without being afraid. And uh, because people have understood that there is, you know, not uh, the progress that they should have been. So we need to accelerate the discoveries in epilepsy research. And one of the ways to do that is actually to talk to people and try to have, you know, a common way forward without, you know, competing with each other, but try to collaborate with each other so that we can actually help people that they need, that they need that. Oh, so, so true. And I think it's very, very, and I've said this in other podcasts and stuff, but it's just so easy. I think when you're so passionate about your work and you get quite sort of like very, very focused and almost tunnel visioned into in the work that you're doing and you could have a lab around the corner well, not literally around the corner but you know who is doing something almost identical you just don't know and then and isn't that just such a waste of resources and actually a significant portion of a person's career and time so it's really good i think that now we are much more into collaborating working together you go to one side a little bit and trying to share the funding that we do have to actually improve outcomes from studies and therefore improve lives long term. I think I think I completely agree with you and I think basic science studies that are at the first level of the discovery can actually be like registered studies like the ones that they are doing for clinical trials. So if there is a database of which projects people are doing that is going to be very helpful and I think uh, for instance the young epilepsy section uh, that is uh, uh, my my big love and uh, I'm really excited about that we were thinking about creating something like that so that trainees and people that are starting can actually uh, you know have a database and look at uh, which are the people that are working very close to my interests so that I can reach out, try to collaborate, try to exchange ideas, try to exchange results and try to figure out in different angles whether we have something there that can actually help people. Honestly, that's a brilliant idea. And you make me think even of like um, other diseases or, for instance, cancers. You know, like, for instance, cancers have got like the most money, I think, of any disease. 
but there are so many labs everywhere. How much duplication is there? And maybe they've already got something like you suggested, but we really need this, I think, with the limited funds that you know we have in the epilepsies. This would be just invaluable and really cool if, you know, like maybe us lot could access it too and just see, God, look what they're doing, darling. Isn't that so cool, you know? I also think it's very important to actually improve the communication between basic scientists and clinicians. That is something also patient advocates and everyone involved in epilepsy. I think we need to uh, train ourselves to communicate our findings to a larger audience, not, not necessarily a specialized audience. I think it's important to actually describe our results in a, a very clear way that is going to be very understandable for everyone. That's something that uh, people need to be trained at and I'm still learning and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, you know ways to improve that because I think it's something that is going to accelerate uh, discoveries. Right, I completely agree. But what do you see as the benefits of doing that? Because I know lots of academics and clinicians are actually really, you know, nervous about attempting to communicate more closely, especially with patients and families. Like, what if you say the wrong thing? Or what if they take it the wrong way? Or, you know, how do we manage expectations? You know? Yeah, I think that's that's really challenging, and uh, I don't have a, a you know a great idea on how to do that. But I think by improving the way that we communicate our findings uh, in conferences, also in social media, I think it's it's really gonna help. Using uh, inclusive language is something that is very important, and it's um, it's something that is uh, I think it's gonna help. Totally. Well, that's what, you know, that's actually by idea, you know, with the, in the beginning with Epilepsy Sparks is you know, translating everything and making everybody realise that what you are doing is cool, but kind of, you know, making it not just appear like a boring report or paper, like black and white and looking intimidating and dull as, you know, there's a lot. And there are personalities behind it, like yourself, you know, and people who have this passion. But it's a, a bit like um, I did this tweet on, um, on yeah, well, evidently on Twitter um, yesterday or the day before. And it was about, you know, we need to be translating in like a human way and be consistent with the language that we use as well because you know I'm lucky that I spend my job reading or trying to read a, a lot of the time every day but you know most people don't have the opportunity to do that so they want to understand what you're doing and value it but we need to be able to show them and these things in a way that they get quickly that's a great point and I think the Young Epilepsy section is working on a project about infographics. I, uh, I believe so, I think you may have told me about that. Yeah, that's really cool. Just tell people about it quickly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, a very exciting project that was initiated by the Communications Task Force and I think the goal there is to actually communicate some uh, some aspects of epilepsy like uh, drugs or what is epilepsy in, in, uh, in a very quick and um, uh, very robust way so that people can actually go through one page that they are gonna see in social media and they're gonna quickly understand what is the what is about because as you said we don't have much time to go over a, a whole like paper or a review so we need to have all the key points in a graphical way that is gonna convey uh, the message uh, quickly so that's something that we need for instance during conferences we make posters so there you can actually see the whole story in like uh, a very abbreviated way 
uh, that is really helpful to have all this uh, data and all these discoveries communicated in a way that is easily accessible and people can actually take a look without you know thinking too much i think making making it easy it's uh, it's really important so just tell us a little bit more then about your work um through um yes or ILE yes what are you doing with them apart from lovely posters and pictures of things <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the young epilepsy section started uh I think five years ago and uh, it started during a networking event and after the networking event uh, uh, there was a mailing list of 20 people that actually evolved to uh, a section that is has more than a thousand probably right now so uh, together with my peers we organized uh, the section we um, uh, we had different task forces to work in different projects and um, the main goal is to bring together the next generation of epilepsy professionals uh, so that they can communicate with each other, try to train themselves, try to actually interact with each other more so that they can learn and they can build their careers. Uh, right now it's, it's a very exciting time because uh, it's going very well and you can see that uh, the Young Epilepsy section is very active in social media with uh, webinars, uh, with uh, weekly meetings where people are discussing about what is happening in, a, in an open Zoom so everyone can attend, everyone can actually participate. It's a very inclusive initiative that uh, uh, I'm really excited about. I, I was mainly focusing on the research part and um, the basic science, but also participation in conferences and some activities there. But there are so many other things that uh, uh, are being done and I'm very excited that um, everything is going great and uh, people are keep on uh, following up on this initiative it's it's really nice to see it is and you know, from my perspective I, I love seeing all the posts about it seeing real people being passionate and showing personality in, in, in their work uh, and also another great thing I've noticed a bit like the ILA as well but is that there are people from all continents really um, there and so a lot, I think there's a lot of input for, of how culture, religion, stuff like that impacts the care for patients and research for people as well. So that's a great point and we have uh, uh, diversity that is uh, very important and we have also um, thought about you know giving the opportunity to, n to new people to become involved. So in the board there is a very uh, uh, frequent turnaround uh, and in the task forces so people have the opportunity to lead themselves and not just have you know three people leading the whole thing for a long period of time. So recently recently we had uh, this transition and I'm, I'm really glad to see the new board doing excellent work and uh, uh, promoting all the great things that they are building so it's it's really inclusive and everyone is uh, welcome to attend and uh, to actively participate not only attend and be there and hearing what people are doing because you're more one of these people who's more involved with listening to things on the patient side um, or on the family side should I say because often for people with epilepsy they can be you know not uh, they don't necessarily communicate very well so it can uh, you know often i think depending upon the person impact for instance parents even more sometimes than the person with the epilepsy so how are you using all of this 
to communicate with families and get input that influences you positively? There are many projects. One that I can think of is uh, uh, the Advocacy Task Force that is, go- that is doing great work on actually communicate all the issues and all the things that we're not talking about in a way that is uh, acceptable and it's uh, inclusive. Uh, there is also a project on stigma and epilepsy, which is something that uh, uh, needs to be addressed. And also there is very close communication with uh, the IB and all the projects that they are doing there. So uh, they, they not only work in uh, creating uh, leaflets but and flyers, but they are trying to actually educate the public and uh, actually try to communicate some aspects of, uh, of the epilepsy that we really want to communicate more and try to address more. So there is dedicated teams that are doing that and um, they're doing excellent work. This is so I'm, I'm really glad. To, yeah. This is so good because, you know, even 10 years ago, this would not be happening. This is really, really encouraging um, for people on all sides. You know, we used to have scientists who had to, you know, uh, be rather large and uh, um, you know, not speak to uh, patients' families down there, darling, goodness no, and just be told what to do. (laughs) And it's really changed so quickly for the better. I think we can do better. Uh, We can do better. We just need to know the way to do it. And uh, talking with uh, other people and try to actually change the way that epilepsy is perceived by everyone it's it's very important goal right now and i think the next generation is is very it's very important to in this regard and it can actually change the whole landscape and get more funding as well for this research because without the money we're <laughs> that's really important because uh, epilepsy research is underfunded and uh, you see you know great people that they want to start their labs start their careers and they have trouble uh, and it's something that, you know, uh, mentors are very important. And if you have a supportive mentor, that is really critical right now. But I think we need much more funding and we need more opportunities in different regions because some regions, they have more funding than other regions. So uh, you really want to balance and try to fund projects in different regions, try to actually bridge some of those projects and have many regions to become involved in a project so that you can actually promote not only communication but also uh, funding in regions that are underfunded. So there are many mechanisms that we can consider. And I think what could potentially, I hope, complement that is the fact that you, what we spoke about before, you're going to be putting together a list of different labs and different projects that are going on and then we can reassure funders that you know we're not duplicating work and actually that different studies are going to complement each other and big each other up you know which is a positive for all parties so yeah maybe maybe that will be helpful. Uh, There is already a list in uh, uh, a a database about clinical projects from the Global Advocacy Council at uh, the ILA website where there are some registered studies that are funded so people can reach out to people that are involved in those projects but I don't think we have something like that for basic science which is very much needed in my view. I completely agree. So let's finish on what I think is a really positive thing, although many don't seem to recognise it yet, is um, 
You're also studying Alzheimer's. Now, people think Alzheimer's, epilepsy, separate things. But we couldn't be further from the truth in many ways, right? Because so many people, you're more likely to develop epilepsy or at least have seizures if you have Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. So could you tell us yes. just a bit about what you're doing with that, please? Yeah, so I had the opportunity to uh, uh, to actually gain more insight in Alzheimer's and epilepsy from the lab, to, the lab of Dr. Helen Sarfman, which she found uh, really, really exciting uh, stuff in the animal models that actually you can really see in humans. So I was really excited to... Uh, to, to know that work when I when I joined the lab and uh, what we are trying to do is to find biomarkers uh, that actually can uh, uh, pinpoint uh, progression in Alzheimer's and um, and that has to do with uh, epilepsy. Uh, so we are looking at uh, changes in the EEG that actually you can see them before uh, the animals develop uh, neuropathology that is not reversible. Uh, so we are looking at very early on on what is happening and it seems that epilepsy or epileptiform abnormalities as we call them they are really prominent in the stages of the disease that you don't see uh, neuropathology and that is very important because if we try to actually stop these activities with different drugs or different manipulations, that is gonna be probably one of the ways that we can interfere with the progression of the disease, plus the progression of epilepsy in people with Alzheimer's disease. Because as the time goes by, people have seizures, and uh, the interplay between seizures and Alzheimer's and the pathology is very complex, but there seems to be uh, a very close relation between the two uh, diseases. So that's something that is uh, very interesting uh, to me and uh, in the Department of De uh, Dementia Research here at NYU and uh, at Nathan Klein Institute. I'm really glad that they have the support to study all of these exciting things uh, with many different uh, groups and also uh, all the studies that uh, uh, we do here in the Sarfman lab. I'm so excited that you told me about this and, and everybody listening and watching because people don't tend to put those two things together. So, and again, that is a place that we can save funds, I think, you know, instead of duplicating everywhere, let's do this together. So if you, if you are a person studying Alzheimer's dementias and, you know, or if you are a family affected by dementia, you know, Alzheimer's particularly, look at epilepsy because they're so, so closely linked. Thank you so much. This has been a really, really cool chat. Thank you so much, Christos. And I'm gonna nab you back possibly if you will, if you will have us um, in a few months time because what you and other people um, that Yes and I are doing is just, it's amazing. It really, really is amazing. I'll provide links for this all below in the text. So if anybody wants to get in touch with Christos, the links there are for you. Um, and there are multiple studies performed by Christos and his team, Helen Chaffman Lab, um, as well. And you'll be able to find those online. So thanks again, Christos. Thank you. Thank you, Tori, for everything. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.